I've lost my pride. The lights in the streets hide the stars from my eyes. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know the change is gonna come. And it's too. Hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of. Truth to Power, the happy hour here, recording after work on a Friday. Uh, I'm not happy about the subjects in one sense, but I am happy to have so many great folks joining me in the studio. My name is Justin Mogg. I'm host of Sustainability Now here on Forward Radio. Uh, and we've got a full show coming up for you on our weekly community conversation. We've got folks joining us from around Louisville, around Kentucky, and around the nation for our conversation today. Uh, we're definitely going to be touching on uh, two main topics for today. A little later in the show, we're going to discuss some of the racial hatred and targeting of Asian Americans that took place in America this past week uh, and an event coming up on Sunday, uh, a memorial and a vigil uh, about that. But first, we're going to be talking about, uh, as we have on this show in the past and we'll continue to cover, the people's resistance to fossil fuel infrastructure. Uh, So I'm really excited to talk about the recent actions uh, in Minnesota, the ongoing actions to resist Line 3. Joining me in the studio, I'm really excited to have back with us Suhas Kulkarni, uh, who is working on a show on meditation for us. Welcome back to Forward Radio, Suhas. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. So glad to be here. Yes. So glad to have you. And then we have three folks who have just returned from Minnesota. Joining us from Extinction Rebellion, New York City, I am delighted to get to know Presley Hayashida. Welcome, Presley. Thank you. Very happy to be here. And joining us from elsewhere in Kentucky, we've got Billy Kennard and Alice Melendez. Welcome, you all. Hey, it's good to see you again, Justin. Our, our friends from Extinction Rebellion, Kentucky. You can uh, get connected with them at facebook.com slash xrebelky. So you all were just up with the water protectors in Minnesota, and there are a lot of ties. Uh, this is a people's resistance, but there's certainly a lot of ties to indigenous rights and indigenous um, struggles. And so I thought it would make sense to start the show uh, with a land acknowledgement. Um, so we here at Forward Radio are on the traditional lands of the Cherokee, Shawnee, Osage and Haudenosaunee, who suffered genocide and forced displacement from these lands. Uh, And I know that Presley wanted to share the Big Apples uh, (laughs) indigenous uh, history as well. Yeah, thank you. I'm currently on um, Lenape Muncie land. Yeah. And let's talk about the people in Minnesota that you all were up in solidarity with. What What can you tell us about those communities? We were working specifically with um, the Anishinaabe peoples. We worked directly with one specific camp that's out there. Um, there's actually like probably six or seven, just from my knowledge, um, like action camps sort of along the pipeline. Wow. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. And I think that's one thing that I want to specifically highlight here. Is there is a ton of on the ground, incredible, like indigenous led resistance and it's not getting like near enough coverage but yeah we worked with specifically one camp and kind of moved around from that camp but yeah i don't know alice if you have other things to add yes yeah, so there's i mean there's hundreds of miles there's about 350 miles of pipeline that's going to cross minnesota and it's all going through um 
like a large portion of it's going through indigenous treaty territory. Some of it passes directly through reservations as they redirected lands from cities into territory that they thought was, you know, easier to walk over. Right. And in response, there have been indigenous camps um, and, and people who are really focusing on having leadership from indigenous women and two spirit people and sort of getting the mic into the hands of people who haven't historically had it. Um, and the response to these camps has been incredible police surveillance and downright harassment, which we've got some stories of. And, uh, then, you know, while the camp is basically trying to help people in the, broader nation who might be uh, interested in something like stop the money pipelines divestment campaign or you know who cares about the fate of the tar sands because it impacts all of us because the future of the tar sands you know impacts the climate story for everybody um and so people who want to become involved this is a the, the indigenous people in that area have sort of opened their hearts and opened mm. their doors so that other folks could come up and see what's going on on the ground. And what's going on on the ground is police pulling people over for touching the white line or, well, honestly, our favorite story about the police response has been, uh, so like we, they created an action camp and it drew together a lot of people from Extinction Rebellion from all over the nation for us to sort of get a chance to meet each other in person and to experiment with direct action tech techniques to really directly slow down the pipeline because we're getting into the final crunch and this pipeline's built already in North Dakota. It's, you know, they're trying to get this really dirty chemical laden oil to the great lakes for processing and this is the last stretch. And so workers are really pushing hard and the camps are really interested in having collaboration with people from all over the country in direct action. And it led to a lot of uh, low clearance cars <laughs> being yeah. welcomed into their space <laughs> right at the same time, as you may know, just like happened in Kentucky. Like as we were leaving, the rivers were extremely high in Kentucky. Like we were going to, we, we bought a heater on Craigslist and we had to wait an extra day because the river was so high where she was around Frankfurt that we actually couldn't get to her oh because that same ice storm and snowpack, and then it all melted and it got to like 60 degrees while we were up there Really, and everything turned to mud. And so there was like this like boggy water road. And we actually had the intention to, uh, help them get a dump truck load of gravel and the state police like stopped our gravel truck and told them they had to go back and that they didn't have like that this was a no access road which was like legally not not factual like right. there was a there was a permanent marker poster board sign at the top of the road that said precision pipeline no access and as a result of this like uh, permanent marker sign supposedly the cops could detain our gravel truck man, and that man was scared i mean they they said some crazy stuff to him the guy and the guy went and turned and he wouldn't even glance at us yeah, we bought rock from a, like a four-generation rock company in, yeah. up there in Minnesota. And like 
when we, the youngest, it was the younger son, obviously, who was driving the truck. And, like, when we came back, like, Grandpa was at the desk going, that's discrimination. And it was, like, actually the first sort of, like, hearts and minds connection that I saw (laughs) between the people in the town. I felt like I was back home because they were like, wait a minute, commerce in the American way. We we can't even sell you rock. That's not right. We're supposed to be able to sell you gravel. And so, like, the police response has been just, it's got to be illegal because what's happening, Enbridge is literally paying the police, like, they've created this massive slush fund where they say, like, we'll pay for any costs that you might incur as a result of, you know, controlling these unruly protesters. Wow. And um, they sit there day and night, uh, two, three or four, four of them at a time. Continually watching the police from under this. Um, we, we parked opposite them on a like near an electric power line easement. So we would be looking directly at them with the little river in between. And yeah, they never left. They never stopped. It was a lot of overtime. A lot of overtime. And Ingrid paying for it all. It's straight up harassment. Yeah, it's like just harassment. It's disgusting. Like anytime you take, like anytime you leave, you can't leave the camp with just one person. Like on the off chance that they, oh, like on the probability that like they will follow you, you get like tailed as soon as you leave. Um, They look for any excuse to pull people over. It's like, yeah, it's like, and that's just as like, we were just there for, for a week or so. And, um, it was, it was draining and horrifying. And you're just like the amount of, of surveillance and harassment that's happening. is awful. And is the surveillance particularly, uh, racist or is it anyone who's opposing the pipeline is equally, uh, surveilled and harassed? I mean, I think Specifically, it, yeah, I mean, I think, yes, it's it's racist in the sense that they are targeting, like, indigenous-led camps, um, but that, like, didn't stop them from also, like, pulling over, you know, like, people who identify as white. Um, um, so, like, I think, yes, it's, it's definitely racist in the sense of, like, they're clearly over-policing, like, indigenous-led resistance. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely. And I think they perceived us, you know, like it was like carpetbaggers. They were like, oh, those foreigners coming in to mess up our system or whatever. Like, that's literally, he said to the, the, what did the cop say to you when you went to talk to him about their Tell me. Without the cuss words yet. Oh, he told me to to get get my. He said, get get our rock off his road. (laughs) Some cuss words first. first. Like, it. Get our rock no, off his road? He told, told me to, to take my off the road. Wow. Like it belonged into, it was like we were wow. not those, you know, that was a Minnesotan road and we were outsiders. And it was just, it was just off the chain in terms of the response for stuff that, I mean, the action that, you know, which publicized the outcomes of was blocking a road with a sailboat. And mm. it was not dangerous. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, in the other camps, there was there, like there was an experience closer to Duluth where workers reported that an empty box was 
thrown into a pipe by a mysterious, unnamed, unlicensed, plated car, which sped away, which created a bomb threat, for which case they evacuated everyone to make this sense of, like, the scary protesters. Uh, yeah. And, but there was literally an empty cardboard box and with no evidence connecting it to anyone from any camp. Oh, I wonder how that happened. <laughs> I can't imagine who has an incentive to do something like that. Um, and meanwhile, the Enbridge workers from the same area, several were caught in a sting for soliciting sex from a 16 year old who looked indigenous because, you know, the epidemic of missing and murdered women is deeply connected to this pipeline work coming through because they're bringing, um, thousands of outsider come to think of it, men with, huge outsized paychecks that don't match the local territories. And they're also paying. I learned from that same article. Um, Enbridge is trying to pay the people in the Fond du Lac reservation 400 bucks a month. I don't know for how long, like as a, you know, bonus pay for them being in the neighborhood to just buy off the, goodwill you know and create divisions among people who don't benefit from this project trying to create a false sense that people local people are benefiting from this project when they're just flat out not right in the long run this is a case of a couple of months yeah well tell us a, a, give us a little bit of context of, about how the response has been um the, the indigenous communities are organizing as you said there's like six different camps uh, how are people from uh, outside Minnesota participating, and, and what do those numbers look like? I mean, hundreds of people have been arrested for in this sort of ground game to physically slow down work. And the game is that there's a lawsuit from the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce saying that the Public Utilities Commission did not prove that this pipeline met the um, criteria for need. There's a lawsuit from an indigenous-driven lawsuit because it's crossing treaty territory and going to make it um, that they have legal right to hunt and fish and gather on. Mm. Um, and there, there's a sense that Biden could weigh in, although I've seen that states are now suing Biden for his executive orders canceling Keystone. So this would fall in that department, you know, if uh, if Biden did take action to block the permitting of line three, like there, there's all these legal tangles. And Enbridge is basically trying to get this thing in the ground before the legal questions are weighed. And that's what this ground game is about. It's about slowing them down enough that the law, there's a chance for supposedly the rule of law that we supposedly have in this country to weigh in. Um, but meanwhile, the banks um, have pulled bat way back on how much money they're promising in bridge because they see the risk. And Presley, I don't know, you were at the same Stop the Money Pipeline rally. You want to talk about the progress of the bank story? Yeah, definitely. Um, what I, I mean, what I know is that at the end of March, like March 31st, mm -hmm. there was a, there were, I think like 18 banks who were facing um, the option to like renew their line of credit um, with Enbridge. And that was like $2.2 billion 
um, worth of, of loan and funding going towards Enbridge. Um, so Stop the Money Pipeline like launched this campaign, um, I think pretty close to the beginning of March. And um, wouldn't you know, like a few days ago, they like actually um, announced that instead of this like $2.2 billion um, like line of credit that they were transitioning into, I think it was like a $300 or $800 sustainability loan um, that these banks were going Billion dollars. <laughs> no, billion, not billion. <laughs> from million, from, yeah. Yeah, eight hundred million dollars. Eight hundred million dollars, yeah. So and they were call, they're calling it like a sustainability loan, um, which is also really interesting and definite, like just complete greenwashing by yeah. banks. It pass as though they were like not funding, like climate chaos and indigenous <laughs> like struggle and resistance. I just like. Yeah. So I think that that like it's been semi unclear, at least to me, about that switch. But I would argue that um, a lot of that comes from the pressure that Stop the Money Pipeline has been putting on on the bank, the growing resistance towards the towards the project on the ground. Um, And so just to like also answer your question, like I think I think a lot of these camps like um, when we were out there, you know, like the need is for bodies, like the need is for people to go out there and to slow this thing down, like Alice touched on, um, so that we can have a chance to keep like targeting banks and asking them, demanding that they stop funding the project. And also, yeah, so that these legal challenges have like a chance of, of moving anywhere. Um, yeah, I don't know, Alice, did you have anything to add on the funding? That's kind of all I know right now. Yeah, just that they had shifted from that. Originally, they had been up for like a three point something billion dollar renewal and they've cut it back to 800 million so you know whatever a seventh or an eighth less significantly less money because i think that banks are um anxious and unsure and then also yeah naming it a sustainability loan which i think in their in their terminology is referring to the sustainability of the project while it's like in uncertainty or is it like they, I think they were claiming to like tie it to certain sustainability goals, Uh but you can't have sustainability goals when your reason for being is to make a pipeline that's going to make it possible to keep burning tar sands oil out of Alberta. Like Alberta tar sands have to stay in the ground. Like yeah, to have a shot at keeping our climate unstable but not like catastrophically unstable because yeah. we've already crossed that threshold yeah it's just complete greenwashing so what does the resistance look like on the ground trying to stop this project uh you say people are getting arrested are they arrested like sitting in front of bulldozers or what does it look like there's a lot of roads that that lead to work sites there are a lot of work sites with equipment and stuff on them and if there are people on those sites, those workers aren't supposed to be working there. And so the more that people can be in places where workers are Mm. and difficult to remove in ways that creates the cops having to take time, uh, the more time that workers are not working in certain places. And so it's a combination of like drawing attention and like just putting little 
nuts in the gears yeah, yeah. and you know just like i guess nobody's really monkey wrenching at this stage but uh I, a girl can dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, so, I ah, the old days. Also, I recommend uh, David Rovick's the entire album, The Commons, and uh, include up to and including "Burn It Down," which is basically uh-huh. it's an anthem that says, "Oh, this guy just got arrested for speech and thought," and because the lawyers say that his uh, speech signified intent. And so David Rovix makes this song that's like about his intention to burn some things and then he encourages everyone to sing along <laughs> for the chorus and is like, hey, are we all are we all uh, signifying intent now? Because it's really a slippery slope. Right. But yeah, right now what people are doing is visibly, openly being places that is in the way mm-hmm. in order that police will have to be called and will slow things down. And then have there been actions at the banks themselves that are helping fund this? And, and what does that look like in, in New York, Presley? Uh, yeah, there are. Um, XRNYC is trying really hard um, to sort of, yeah, also do similar things, just like using um, direct action and civil disobedience, you know, to like really try and wrap ramp up like the pressure on banks um i think on wednesday we actually um had sort of a little day of action where we went around to a lot of the banks um i think we went to like chase a few chase branches in wells fargo um and Citibank, and like handed them like the we went into like bank branches um with like banners and stuff like that and handed them letters um sort of demanding that they that they remove their funding um and like calling it out, I guess. And so that's one thing that we've been doing here. But I know, like, again, in Minnesota and like Seattle, I think really across- Houston. I know there was action in Houston. Yeah. In um, Bridge has a big presence, you know, has a, offices down there too. And I know that they uh, have been targeting those offices and the banks. Um, yeah. yeah. Just, there was a letter, it was written by Indigenous women leaders um that we were delivering in i delivered it in lexington and some xrky people delivered it in louisville months ago you know because it's the same it's a story that we all know yeah and banks know that we know it's just (laughs) they know that they other people know that they know that we know like (laughs) we're working on it yeah yeah that's what we're doing here at forward radio (laughs) well was this was this the first time uh, the three of you had done an action quite like this, a civil disobedience action outside of your home place? Or are you all old hands at this? It's totally new to me. Yeah, it was my first time. Wow. You too, Presley, huh? Wow. Uh, so uh, any 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 thoughts about it? Is it something you definitely want to do again? I mean, okay, we had the crazy mud situation. <laughs> But in a way, that's better than freezing your tush off, right? <laughs> it got back down to nine. Oh my um, god! It was like it, it it turned all to mud, and then it like froze <laughs> hard again. It was it's wild spring weather. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, uh, yeah. I don't know. For me, I think it's definitely like you know, like I don't think any of us want to be here talking about these things. No. And and so like it's. That's a funny question, I guess. 
Yes, I can't wait for more. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, but if you see the trajectory that our culture and our economy is on, you can only assume that this tactic is not going to go out of style. Either everyone is going to go to sleep or and uh, or be like contained by like the fascist overlord matrix uh you know baby in a tube we're <laughs> getting the food thing <laughs> or uh there's you know some kind of resistance fringe or like the political process magically starts working i mean so considering the three oh, options um it feels likely that this is a technique and a tool that's early in its stage of development at least for uh privileged white north americans well yeah because there's going to continue to be a lot of money invested in fossil fuel infrastructure and uh i can't imagine any other way for it to go away quickly than people's resistance i mean that that you're right. It's going to be an essential. Component. Well, and, and Breonna Taylor, like while I was gone, I know buddy who was uh, bringing the memorial back to City Hall. Yeah. And that was in the cover of darkness, too, because all these fights, people are just getting fed up with signing petitions. I like petitions, <laughs> but I don't have a sense <laughs> that they're going anywhere and so you know that's what drove us to drive north yeah yeah i participated in uh brianna taylor uh it was one year anniversary from her murder um presley i don't know if if you you know how closely everybody outside of louisville is following that that tragedy uh, but we do know that she, her name is nationally known now um and it was funny how the city's response was, oh, boy, here, here protesters are coming back. We better shut down the city uh, and and just literally concrete barricades uh, all, all throughout the streets, uh, like kind of doing the job of the protesters for them in terms of shutting things down. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, ironic for us to be marching through these empty streets saying, if we don't get it, we're going to shut it down when the city had already done that for us. <laughs> It was similar, I think, in um, Minneapolis. The week that we were there, um, like the 8th was the day that the that George Floyd, that the um, Derek, whatever his name is, the Chauvin, cop who murdered yeah. George Floyd was like the trial was starting. So um, I think it was similar where they like, yeah, just put up like barriers <laughs> all around like the downtown Minneapolis area. And it's just like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. Indigenous people from camp, like when we got there, you know, um, like Tara Hauska, who is one of the uh, the legal connect and the one of the core leaders of Ginu Collective, was up there, and we had a conversation about decolonization and and sort of like what a massive, never-ending project that is for everybody. Oh yeah, uh, whereas oh, yeah. some of the like indigenous guys is like, I, I don't know what that looks like for you white people, but we're trying to overcome from, you know, basically being told that we're kill the Indian, save the man, sending people to boarding, you know, residential homes. Meanwhile, people all over the nation are recognizing that the exact same thing is happening with child protective services. You know, there's Black Lives Matter saying uh, separation at, starts at the border of Harlem. 
just like at the border from Mexico, and it's happening in Kentucky to, guess what, uh, marginalized white families, too. Like, that, that surveillance, that um, sort of, like, sense of cultural superiority and like we're gonna monitor you and improve you and the way that you and your family does things like that's still happening all the time but the where i started off before i got captured by that was that (laughs) tara and them was all headed down into minneapolis to back up the people from black lives matter for the jury selection because we're all trying to show up for each other because all this stuff is happening at once. Yeah. And um, the lines between people who are comfortable and okay with the way things are and the people who are like, this is all really not okay in so many ways mm. uh, are clarifying, mm. I feel like. We're speaking today here on Truth to Power with a bunch of folks from across Louisville and across Kentucky and across the nation uh, about a couple of topics uh, that have certainly been in the news this week. Uh, Getting an update here from the front lines in Minnesota against Enbridge Line 3 with uh, three folks from Extinction Rebellion, Alice Melendez and Billy Kennard from right here in Kentucky. And we're also delighted to have from XRNYC, Presley Hayashida. And I also want to bring in Sue Haskell Carney, who I introduced at the beginning. Uh, welcome back, Sue Hus, because I, I want to kind of make a connection here. Um, the, you know, a lot of these man camps that are building pipelines in the northern part of our country uh, have resulted in violence against women of color, violence against indigenous women. Uh, and there's a, a, a through line to, to, I know, the issue re- you really wanted to talk about today, which was the, the violence we saw in Atlanta on Tuesday evening, right? Well, I mean, that is one of the long strings of, uh, I would call it, well, free speech and expression, but this was an expression in the wrong side. You know, and when people go about shooting or even desecrating or, or maligning other people, especially because of their races and, you know, maybe religious differences. I think uh, one, one thing is that it, it has always happened. This is part mm. of history. Okay. However, I think we've had an unprecedented uh, adding fuel to the fire period, which is what, what is ending what perhaps all the healing that we all are trying to institutionalize is getting wiped off. And that is what is most concerning to me. I, I'm very interested. It was very interesting to hear Alice and Presley and Billy talk about the indigenous people. And I love the word indigenous because, you know, I'm from India and we don't want everybody to be called Indians. <laughs> Otherwise, right? I mean, sometimes we say this is not 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 the right thing to say, but we are glad Columbus got it wrong. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, and it is it is amazing, Justin and everybody who's listening, it's amazing that our country is called America, named after an Italian who, who actually, you know, drew out the map, if you will, or the coastal area, right. which was a map created by a German based on the wrong navigation of another Italian <laughs> who was funded by the Spaniards to come here to in the first place. And then 
people think that they own it all. <laughs> own it all. It was a whole, whole darn mistake, you know, number one. And number two, and then the people who first came here from Europe were beneficiaries of the largesse of the indigenous people. Mm. If they were not there, they would not have survived. Yeah. If the Europeans were not taken care of by the Africans in Africa, they would not have survived. Every and same thing I have noticed in India, you know, the Europeans who landed in India would not have survived there if it were not for the largest and benefactors that they found uh, in India. And then everything was turned around on the same benefactors, if you will. The benefactors have become, so the indigenous people have, um, uh, you know, had had a lot of things, everything almost taken away from them. The Africans, on the other hand, and even India, you know, we had seven, eight, six, seven hundred years of of colonized rule, which, and so did, I mean, we are all, in a way, beneficiaries uh, or whatever it is, we, have, we, we are uh, facing the consequences of the last three, four hundred years of activity that, uh, you know, took place, which is not really beneficial for us. This recent uh, turmoil, if you will, or the recent um, you know, firing up of racial differences is extremely troubling. One of the big reasons why all of this is happening is because, you know, the have-nots are potentially the folks who are perpetrating this racial violence. And the have-nots have remained have-nots for the longest of time. I mean, the people like Trump and others who are adding fuel to the fire are making money hand over fist. And everybody who is supposedly supporting or who they're supposed to uplift are giving them money and getting absolutely nothing in return. And so the issue is the have-nots remain the have-nots. So then, you know, they feel, oh, well, you know, Trump and company and everybody else who are in that, in that ilk Oh, they are our friends all of a sudden, correct? For whatever be the reasons, whatever the wonderful uh, marketing campaigns that uh, some of those folks have done, then where do they turn their angst? They will turn their anger, their angst against people who can be subjugated, if you mm. will. So, you know, walk around with a gun in an area where nobody else has guns. Now, they would never do that you know, in Alaska or maybe even, you know, any, anywhere else. Where, but when there are peaceful people around, they will walk, walk around with guns and, and you know, just try to establish their superiority. And this is an expression. And today it's, it's Asian Americans. And why Asian Americans? This is so misguided. Hmm. It's because people started to talk about the Chinese virus. So anybody who, anybody who looks even vaguely Chinese, you know, they could be Tibetan, they could be uh, <laughs> Korean, Japanese, they all they look like that. But, you know, people who have slightly uh, high cheekbone type structures, they become Asians. And it doesn't matter. It's the Chinese virus. So everybody's a Chinese. I mean, how misguided and how misinformed can people get? And then they would want to. Uh, so this is when we are talking about educating people. I think the, the issue is obviously number one, acknowledge that there is a problem. 
which we have not done. Yeah. All right. Nobody yeah. has done that. We have not acknowledged that there is a problem. So that is challenge number one. Challenge number two is we've got to educate. Maybe these two things go side by side. We need to educate to uh, Alice's and Presley's and Billy's point. I think we need to educate and, you know, however we we understand, OK, that there is misogyny. We understand that there is a police, you will call it brutality or whatever. It is. But the fact is, unless we educate and unless we institutionalize education of this sort in our public institutions, it's not going to change. You know, and the powers to be are going to delete from the curriculum. Like if, right now it's happening in different states. They're in Florida. They have, this is recent, like last couple of days or something like that. They've cut out uh, from the history books, they've cut out impact of um, slavery. Right. They want to minimize all of that. So think about it. Three, four generations from now, there will be, there. It's you know, the thing that ho the Holocaust was a, was a myth. Then they will say that, oh, slavery was a myth. Nothing ever took place because it's not there in the history books of that time. Mm. Fast forward, you know, fast forward 20 years from now, nobody, even now the impact is much less. So the this is a, this is a, a classic way of controlling the, the dialogue by removing. So the victors write the history. And so that's really what's happening. If all the history is written by victors of any time, right? Rome against Hannibal. It's Rome's history. That is what we hear. We do not hear Hannibal's history. We do not hear how great he was. We don't hear, you know, accepting derogatorily all the great stuff that maybe Nazi Germany or before that the Germany. We don't hear all that. Well, history belongs to the victor. And in our case, that is being played by so to speak, the victors, whoever mm. are the victors. And if we allow them the title of being the victor, they will write the history. Think about it. They will write the history. And our own children and grandchildren will all will only hear that history. So they might turn around and say, hey, grandpa, which or when Presley becomes a grandma multiple times <laughs> or whatever. He said, grandma, you're lying about all this stuff. There's nothing in the books. You know, nobody, you're lying about it. That's really what we have to fight against. I agree with all the protesting, but I think it's important. It's very critical for us to get into the education business. And we educate, get into the education business. Like my own daughter, one of the big things that she has done is become a state rep. Why? She's walking around the absolute red Republican districts. And she's telling them and she's showing them, you know, the, 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 the impact of what they're doing. She's talking to them and they believe her. So she's as a Democrat, she's one of the most popular Democrats amongst in the Republican Party because they she tells it, you know, she shows it to them. She says, this is the impact you're going to have on your economy. This is the impact that you're going to have on on your education, on your you know, you know what I'm saying? So how do you relate it? You relate it everything. Why did colonization take place? Why is all this oppression? It's all for economic reasons. Everything is about money. So for economic reasons, if that is the case, you know, the have nots, which people like us are, then we are we don't have either the money nor the clout in order to. So what we have to maybe do is to get more elected officials in there. So maybe, you know, that well is one way. 
I'm really struck by what you're saying about the school too, because so like my kids are in um, primary school right now. And uh, of course they're on zoom school and I'm astonished by the lack of history and science and Absolutely. You know, so everything is focused on learning, um, you know, basically how to read and like simple math, um, which when we go back to the roots of our public education system, you know, it's always been about having sort of like uh, useful cogs and not really knowing, you know, what's going on. And it's really hard um, even for learners who are really interested in knowing what really happened to really dig in and find a way in the educational system to get to something true. But I'm just, I feel so upset that, young people today who are inheriting all these problems that we're we're seeing and that we're protesting and that we can we can see the line to the future and they're not given any information about it and i actually i have a friend who does um who learned to give a climate talk for the climate report and i like tried to invite her to the school to do a presentation pre-covid and got no pickup and then, like, I'm watching this stuff that they're learning. And basically, everyone's just scrambling just to... The interest is to show that people have attendance and to, like, run... To, sh to have a classroom open, not to teach anything. Um, so, and I completely agree with you. But I, th that's, a, you know, a longer-term thing. I think, foundationally, we have to establish that these are the principles, the education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Topically, topically, because it's important, is we rise to the occasion and make a statement, a splash. So what you're doing about the keystone is important because it does bring attention. By the same token, just the Asian Americans in Atlanta, well, you know, the same thing happened with Asian Americans in California. It's been going on for the past three, four months, you know, ever since the election, it's been going on. And, and uh, it comes up in the news as snippets, but what is the underlying problem? You know, where is the, and what is happening? So I think, I think this vigil that's going to take place on Sunday here in a place like Louisville, Kentucky, if we have a vigil for, um, you know, violence against Asian Americans, and more and more organizations are sprouting up, even if even if it is disjointed. You know, the Breonna Taylor um, activity is, let's say, one bucket. Uh, Asian Americans is another. You know, indigenous people is another. It could be disjointed, but they are individual buckets. Whatever. If we can make a large splash in each bucket, that's much better than doing nothing. So I and think it's important no for us to be very it's very critical for us to it's very critical for us to make sure that we publicize every single thing like this and so i mean the long and the short of it is make sure everybody knows about the sunday vision yeah let's let's uh, let our listeners know about that it's coming up this sunday march 21st at 6 p.m. Uh, it's at waterfront park right suhas do you know which part of the park is it near the big four bridge or do you happen to know no 
think it'll be on the other side. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but you come down to the river and you'll find us on Sunday at 6 p.m. And this is being organized by your state representative, Nima Kulkarni, from here in Louisville, uh, in partnership with uh, Metro Office for Globalization, the Center for Interfaith Relations, Interfaith Past to Peace, and the Asia Institute, right? Um, so yeah. that, that will be a great opportunity to honor the, the eight women who were killed in Atlanta. Is that, is that right? Uh, the man, I have had trouble keeping up with the news on this. Uh, d- does anyone uh, know the story well and want to talk about what happened in, in Atlanta this week? Well, I don't know it very well, but I mean, it, uh, they haven't yet said whether, uh, you know, what was the reason why this person went in there and, and shot. I think there's so many elements to it. Like we had this desecration of a temple here in in right. in, uh, in Louisville. Okay, so initially, and they did not treat it as a hate crime, but I can tell you the story of that in great depth because I was totally involved in it. After they found all the desecration and everything, and we did all the you know FBI came and we had like three thousand odd people turn up to help restore the temple and all that. That was a great thing. Then they found that the perpetrator was a teenager, about an 18-year-old, who, when when the detectives went and talked to his family, they said, we are not surprised that he came out and did this. You know, when they talked to his parents and uncles and all that, they reported that we were not, we're not surprised that he did it, because that's the atmosphere that he grew up in. Mm. The reason he did it was quite different. I think he wanted to show off to his girlfriend that he could do something. Okay, so who does he pick on? He wants to show off to his girlfriend, so he'll pick on the weakest person or the weakest people that he can lay his, you know, come across. And maybe that is one of the reasons why people go out and shoot. They find the weakest. At the, at Alice, did you have something you wanted to say? Bring up- well, I, I just thought it was really interesting what he said earlier that people wouldn't do Second Amendment rallies waving their guns around in places where many people were armed, uh, that they're not going to places where many people are already carrying uh, arms and where being armed is a norm that's right. to show off yeah. their right to carry arms. They're doing it in places where no one's armed. And I thought that um, fit with what he was saying about sort of that these shooters and that and that a lot of the, the haves are picking on people who are in a weaker position or perceived to be weaker, like when they rerouted the Enbridge Line 3 through indigenous territory because they didn't want to go through the city or through the suburbs where they thought they would have stronger resistance. Well, I got a ring off here, guys, in a little bit. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, Suhas. Uh, I want to ask Presley what the reaction in New York has been to the events this week in Atlanta. And and has there been uh, any plans for actions of solidarity or vigils there? Yeah, definitely. Um I know that specifically this weekend, there's a lot going on. I know that a lot of the like Black Lives Matter organizers um, specifically, you know, are like, again, they're just they're also connected. Um, and I think that the ways that we show up for each other um, are really important. And so I, I have noticed, you know, like um, a lot of the Black Lives Matter uh, organizers in the city are like they've been organizing things like each night. And then this weekend there's like some marches and um, solidarity vigils and things like that planned. So, yeah, I think it's like, definitely, it's definitely like, it's just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And are, and are people 
focusing in on the issues of human trafficking and and and, and the violence associated with prostitution too? I mean, is that something people are aware of, or is it just sort of you know solidarity for people and, and who are being targeted? I think from my perspective, yeah, definitely. I think that this whole, I mean, I think that it just calls for, um, like, first the decriminalization of, like, sex work and also just, like, all of the ways in which, like, white male supremacy um, come out. And, and specifically, like, just the the whole thing of, like, the cops, you know, when they arrested the guy and, like, trying to make excuses for the shooter about, like, how he was having a bad day. And things like that, like the just the ways in which we go to like such great lengths to excuse like white male supremacy yeah. and to name it, that's what it is, you know, like it's it's that's that I I think it's like very clear that this was a hate crime and that mm. um, it was caused by white male supremacy. Yeah. And then it's the same attitude that perceives both people and land as a resource that belongs to someone that someone can exploit at their will that you sort of exert your will if you can and you know if you don't you're a slur associated with female reproductive anatomy instead of you know and like the white male supremacy and colonialism are so deeply intertwined too and so it's really seeing those connections and I, I think that's part of why the camp that we were at made such an intention to put forward two spirit or you know just all kinds of queer identities mm. and it's because and i've noticed like in kentucky environmental organizing too like there's a lot of connection between queer identity of all different stripes huh. and environmental organizing and i think it's because of an underdog um point of view in some ways because this like dominating force is a lot more monolithic than all the different ways that ex that oppression expresses itself so like while the expression of oppression can be a bullied angry dad telling his gay kid that he's garbage or it can be workers blowing up mountainsides as if there's nothing living there right. or nothing that has any sentience or being there but it's all this like sense that like we express as much power as we can mm. and that and that that's yeah i really like what you said alice just about like how they're like with all of these things there's like this perception um and even like the targeting of their um the temple is that what he said i'm sorry but yes yeah what... temple in global yeah, like that, like there's this perception that like typically like, yeah, like white male supremacists, you know, like go in and they have this this perception that they're at the top and that they're targeting weaker people or things like whether it is, yeah, like land, there's just like it's all about this perception that they're at the top and, and targeting like this weakest link. And like I think the more we challenge that idea that like this – those who are perceived in like a white male supremacist like culture are weak. Like the more I think we push back on that through like different movements and through solidarity, like it's like very, yeah. Yeah. Like we're like, those aren't like, those people aren't weak. Like they're anything but that, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. 
that. Just well, like- they're forced to be stronger because they're experiencing this oppression. That's something that I noticed like when we were kind of debriefing about all the surveillance and it really hit me yesterday. I was like, oh man, like I'm almost like comfortable in or like experienced in this surveillance in a way that a lot of people aren't because my ex-husband was an addict and I went through CPS once before. And so surveillance and having to be smart about it or like awareness that like the police don't work for you Mm. um, is already normal in probably, you know, a majority of the U.S. But everyone is presenting the issue as though like the kind of quote unquote mainstream who thinks of society as supportive to their way of life is a majority and and they're not anymore. That's really interesting. Billy, I, I don't know if we could bring you in. I, I want to hear from a male perspective about uh, the action up in Minnesota. Um, I, I know that I've heard that this is very much led by women and indigenous women. Uh, and we've just heard a bunch of like, you know, men of the problem kind of talk, which I, I don't disagree with. But I wonder what your experience as a man in this action was. Um, did you did you have sort of some uncomfortable feelings of like, oh, I'm a man, I got to protect these women? Or or was it completely the opposite? Am I making this up? Yeah. I mean, I was just right then thinking, wow, that's a male bashing right there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I mean, after you've actually been there and seen it, uh, me being a person who has never paid attention really to anything outside of drugs and running around, I've here recently and become like awakened, I would say, yeah, uh, to all of this, and it's it's real. <laughs> but uh, I mean, white privilege it does it it dulls your receptors to it, and if you don't rise to the call, you'll never know it's there. Yeah, that's well put. What you said, Billy, when after we went through that rock truck thing, and you were like, yeah. I've been discriminated against now like it was i remember that being that was my first time yeah yeah (laughs) this is what it feels like a moment i I mean i've been on the ground i mean i've been told you know on the ground now but i've never experienced that and that was a new one because i thought that i had already experienced all of the bad cops yeah and experiences but no (laughs) there's a new one discrimination against I mean, for, I mean, just being born. Yeah. And it's got to open your and, eyes, right? That kind of experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, very much so. Yeah. Well, we're, we're nearing the end of our time. I definitely want to remind people about the vigil again uh, for the for the eight people killed in Atlanta. It'll be coming up this Sunday, the 21st at 6 p.m. at Waterfront Park. And there's another event related to the petrochemical build out that I want to highlight, too. And that is a teach in on Breaking Free from Plastic Pollution Act. The Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. There'll be a teach-in about it coming up on Tuesday, March 23rd. It's online from 7 to 8.30 p.m., co-hosted by A to Z Impacts of Plastic and Pittsburghers Against Single-Use Plastic. It's going to feature an overview about this Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act from congressional aides from Senator Jeff Merkley's office and Congressman Alan Lowenthal's office. 
Uh, they'll be uh, National Organizing Director of Beyond Plastic, sharing how people can support the bill. A short film by the creator of the story of plastics, uh, Stiv Wilson, and some live Q&A. Uh, Alice, do you know anything more about this event? You or anything else to, to highlight it? Uh, folks can, uh, let me just say before you mention that, uh, folks can register for Tuesday evenings online, a teach-in at tinyurl.com slash breakfreeteachin. Uh, Alice, anything else to say about it? Yeah, I just, I wanted to kick that your way and put it on people's radar in Louisville because, um, you know, it's definitely a national problem and, as in Louisville, we're at, you know, like sort of the end of the petrochemical corridor of the Ohio River Valley. You know, we've really been building through Extinction yeah. Rebellion, Kentucky collaboration upriver with Pittsburgh. And this is another example of that. And so I just wanted to put that out um, because it's a it's a bill that's really aligned with Extinction Rebellion's values of telling the truth and then acting like it's real, i.e., burning plastic is not recycling and if we allow the haves to frame it as such mm -hmm. then uh, a bunch of big petrochemical companies are going to get paid billions of dollars to incinerate their waste and make it again and so this bill is really well thought out and so i just wanted to share it yeah uh I know. Yeah, I guess it kind of feels like as a non sequitur from our conversation, but it's not because no, no. it's where it's where the oil goes, and when the incinerator happens, where does it happen? In a marginalized community, Absolutely. like this is why we're all in this together. And I hope people show up on Sunday. You know, I love showing up for Black Lives Matter when it was time to start the trial for George Floyd in Minneapolis, because the more that we back each other up, the less that we are isolated, weak the more that we recognize that the people that's right <laughs> that there's more of us than there are of the folks who seem to be running the show and doing such a bad job of it so <laughs> that's right go to the facebook of extinction rebellion kentucky and we're co-hosts or like you said tiny url break free teach in Yes, where there are people, there are power. And I want to thank you, my friends from Extinction Rebellion, for joining me today on Truth to Power. Alice Melendez and Billy Kennard from here in Kentucky, and a special guest from all the way from New York City. Thank you for taking the time. Presley Hayashida. Yeah, thank yeah it's been a pleasure. Great. Hey, thanks. All right, y'all. We'll see you next week uh, right here on Truth to Power. And stay tuned to Ford Radio. Lots of great stuff coming up. I couldn't last for long But now I think I'm able To carry on It's been a long, long time coming But I know Change is gonna come It's been a long, long time coming But I know A change gonna come It's a change